guys, welcome to this episode of Black Famous. This is the hostess with the mostest, Miss Monique. Uh, remember, this is the podcast about black celebrities, mainly musicians, that brown people know and that white people don't. So don't be alarmed if you don't know who we're talking about. There's always a video that you should be watching before you listen to this podcast. Please, please, especially for this one. I think you'll really get, it, really get a kick out of it. Um, I've got a really great guest for you guys today. His name is Rob. Say hi. Hello. Uh, Rob is awesome. Um, who are you and why? Who am I and why? Uh, I'm, a brand new Manha- I'm a brand new Manhattanite. Woo! And I'm already insufferable. <laughs> you like, To be fair, you were already insufferable before then. Yeah, but it's just sort of like uh, heightened my spidey senses. <laughs> You're, it's extra <laughs> amplified now. Exactly. And I'm also someone who is terrified that I'm going to burp during this podcast. Because... Oh, I've already done it. Okay. Like, the last recording, I belched twice. Ah, well. So it's completely fine. Got it. <laughs> also, you were the first guy to be recording with really? me. Really? Yes. You, all the other people have been ladies. You were the first guy to record. Hashtag not all men. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Sure. <laughs> sure. <laughs> uh, so like I said, I think I have a really, really good episode for you guys today. We're going to be talking about the song No More Lies. Uh, that do, came... do, 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 do. Ooh, ah, don't spoil it. Don't spoil it. That's Oh, that's like my favorite part of the entire song. <laughs> uh, that song came out um, in 1989. Like I said, it's called No More Lies by an artist named Michelle A. Um, she's from California, um, most specifically South Central. Um, and she's got a very interesting and storied history. Now, when I was picking people to record this podcast, when I asked you, hey, do you want to be on this podcast? One of the first names you threw out there, you were like, Michelle, oh my God, can we do Michelle? <laughs> now, why was that? You know, I, first of all, I had the cassette single. I'm, I'm, I don't know, am I your eldest guest so far? No. Okay. Well, I will be 34 this summer, so the song came out in You're 19- so old. I know. You're, you're totally not old. Well, the point is, I had this cassette single. So did my sister. My sister totally had this cassette single. <laughs> and I loved her because there was just so much like juxtaposition of the fact that she has a super mousy voice. And this like super sultry, silky, deep voice. And I think that's, singing. Yeah, like I think that's what I forgot about this song because it came out in 1989. So I was I was born in 1984, so I was still really young. But I remember that this song was played on uh, BET all the time. And my sister also had the cassette single. So when I watched the video, when I heard her voice, like her speaking voice, I was like, oh my God, (laughs) this is the lady with the amazing singing voice. And her voice is crazy. (laughs) And it's not even like a normal sort of like girl who does baby talk. It is a... Yeah, it's it's not an affectation. It's her genuine Voice. Is there anyone else who has a voice even... I mean, could you compare like... Uh, Jennifer Tilly is the first person oh, I can think of. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, because she has a very... I don't know if she sings at all, but uh, she has a very distinctive kind of like high squeaky, um, almost like a uh, like a mini mousy sort right. of voice. But Jennifer Tilly has more like uh, more air in her voice. Yeah. Whereas Michelle A's voice is flat, but high. But very high pitched. Um, so, so a couple of facts before about Michelle before we start going into the song slash video. So like I said, she's from South Central. Um, when I believe she said, I was watching a couple of interviews, very quick clips of interviews because her <laughs> voice, I mean, she's a very talented person, but her voice is kind of annoying. Um, when she was younger, um, when she was like in second grade, um, she didn't really talk very much. Right. Um, apparently she just didn't speak. She would just like nod and she would like speak very quietly at home. And I remember the interviewer saying like, oh, were you insecure about your voice? And she's like, I think it was maybe a little bit of that, but just also being very shy. And I think also like being aware of that's how your voice sounds. You're going to keep yourself quiet because you don't know what's coming out of your mouth. (laughs) You're just like, whoa, that voice is coming out of me. I don't know if I feel comfortable with that. So I'm just not going to speak. You'll appreciate this uh, about me in that I thought as a kid that people who were shy mm-hmm. were sad. Hmm. 
I had this association, like, why wouldn't you talk nonstop all the time, all day? I, I kind of always associated being shy and kind of sheepish mm-hmm. with being sad. See, now I, as a former quote-unquote quiet kid, I was always quiet at school. Like, after a certain point, um, like, maybe around, like, third or fourth grade, I started kind of withdrawing. But, like, at home, just talking all the time. And my reason for doing that is because just, like, not other people weren't on my level, but there were so many things that I enjoyed, like, more adult things, like, Kids in the Hall and Monty Python <laughs> and like, like like deaf comedy jams, like all, things that I couldn't talk about with people in school. So I had no common ground with other children and I like to read a lot. And I was just like, well, I mean, books are my friends. Right. Until I can go home and like talk with my sisters and like talk with my like my neighbor best friend. Like that, that was my thing. I think because I'm an only child, I came out of the, like from my parents' joke that from the moment I could talk I didn't shut up (laughs) (laughs) I could definitely see that (laughs) I could totally see that Uh, so yes I was raised in South Central um, and she never really thought singing was a career she just mainly saw it as a way to get out of the hood she was just like I didn't know that you could sing and make money I just saw people on TV looking glamorous like traveling seeing the world and she was just like this is my way out like sure i like i have this voice i know i have this voice i gotta find a way to make this a thing and her brother her older brother was in a band and she's like oh i would watch them rehearse and stuff and you know i asked my parents to like give me piano lessons guitar lessons she's like i want to learn an instrument i want to sing and want to play something and they were poor and they would argue about all the time about who was going to pay for it so, it, like, it was a struggle, but she kind of, like, knew what she wanted very early. So she did not have Sherry Lee Ralph as her mom in Sister Act 2. <laughs> Singing does not put food on the table. It might have been, like, shades of that. It might have been not that exactly, but there might have been shades of it. Okay. Um, so, I mean, let's get right into the song. Because there's so many things I want to talk about, but, like, I want to get the song and the video Sure. On the road. Let's do it. Let's do it. So this video, part of it is in black and white. Part of it is in in color. Um, I'm sure that was an artistic decision. It's very 90s. It's very, it's super 90s. Um, So basically the gist of the song is this woman is in a relationship with this guy. He's always telling her how much he loves her. Baby, I love you. You're the best, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You're the only girl. You're the one for me. You're the only girl for me. Also, please note that the boyfriend in the video is played by Dr. Dre. Right. Um, a very young Dr. Dre, which I, when I was looking at the video, I was like, is that, is that fucking Dr. Is that Dr. Dre? <laughs> um, and yes, uh, they were also involved in real life as well. And we're going to get to that, right? <laughs> oh, we're so, oh, we're going to get into all of that. All of that. I guarantee you. So yes, the boyfriend in the video is played by Dr. Dre. Um, and basically she's singing that she just like, I... I think the best part of the video is her facial expression throughout the entire video because it basically says, I'm tired of your bullshit already. <laughs> like, you've barely met her. You don't really know what she's about. But as soon as the camera goes on her, she has no time for your bullshit. <laughs> My favorite scene of the video is of her on the phone with him and all of her girlfriends around kind of bopping their heads and wagging their fingers. I, I sort of thought of it as the Greek chorus, like encouraging her and like encouraging the story, like just like whispering her ear like, ooh, you ain't got time for that. Ooh, he's an asshole. Blah, 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 blah. You tell him about himself. Yada, yada, yada. It's hilarious. It's the 1989 version of the group text. Like, <laughs> Basically. Like, let me tell you what he said. <laughs> How should I respond? <laughs> oh my God, that's basically what it is. It is a live group text happening around her. So yeah, so various parts of the video are her and then her talking on the phone with him and then her arguing with him and then her and her friends throwing a party. In a very nice loft. Yeah, it's like a big like loft apartment and like there's balloons and, and like, a kid. And a kid? Some like random ass kid running around. And so many silk shirts. And, oh man. <laughs> Look, they the, the budget for silk shirts in this video. <laughs> I wonder if it was Gordon Gartrell. Oh my god. 
<laughs> I really wouldn't be surprised. Like, and I also saw a few, like, Carl Kanai, Gerbo, Jean things going on, too. So, like, the fashion, like, the, the clothing budget for this video must have been off the wall. <laughs> can, can we just, just the quickest talk about the furniture in the beginning? Oh, pl oh you just go right on ahead. It was so very much of that time with the microfiber couch, Ugh. the kind that you could see your handprint on, mm -hmm. and the big pillows, mm -hmm. and the, the lamp that kind of uh, went from behind the couch and uh, with the pole that went over. Yes, with the, like, the adjustable arm, the, uh, yeah. that lamp. It, it felt like... You know the sets of like Martin <laughs> yeah. and Living Single? It <laughs> felt like that. <laughs> it did. Well, it, like weird color, like a weird colored leather couch, very oddly colored throw pillows, the oddly, not oddly, but like, you know, just a random like African art figure <laughs> somewhere, <laughs> like a painting or like a mask, <laughs> just like randomly placed around the apartment so you knew brown people lived there. <laughs> I always, I remember my. I have cousins who are like old enough to be my parents mm -hmm. and so they were like young and they all had furniture like that and I remember thinking well why don't we have furniture like that why doesn't my mom have this this lamp that everyone else has why doesn't my mom have this couch and now I realize it's because they were ugly yes because your mom had taste <laughs> <laughs> your mom had taste <laughs> because all that shit looked low rent and ugly <laughs> like it was the, it was that time period's modern furniture right and just because it mod it's modern doesn't mean it's nice looking most of the time it means it looks like crap <laughs> so yeah so again with the voice so interdispersed with her singing our little spoken word vignettes <laughs> what about pinocchio um basically referring to the fact that he's he's probably lying right so she's comparing him to pinocchio but i think that's that first jarring thing like you hear the singing and like wow she's got a really dynamic voice it's strong it's awesome and then all of a sudden this baby voice comes out of nowhere and you're blindsided it's like the juxtaposition of the voice speaking and singing completely kind of throws you for a loop right i mean in, in her voice i mean her singing voice we can't kind of stress enough how um, I would say baritone, but baritone's the wrong word. I guess like it's like Anita, like Anita Baker. Baker. She's like a she's basically like a maybe like a step above an alto, like a contralto. There you go. Yes, but and her speaking voice is like Minnie Mouse just inhaled a balloon. Yes, like all <laughs> the helium in the known universe. So it's very jarring, and I'm sure that was also a part of her kind of like allure and appeal, because you've got this very, and she's very beautiful. She's a really beautiful, like very cute. Just green eyes. Yeah, just like very like cute, like sexy young lady with this really um, like kind of blown you away voice, squeaking <laughs> like a little mouse. And I'm sure that, 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 I think that was kind of like the novelty of her too. Right. Yeah, I think I remember, like, commercials. I know that it was definitely something that endeared me to her, or, like, I guess attracted me to her music. That song in Nice Tea, which I was also about because it was a portmanteau. I thought it was so interesting. I was all about the juxtaposition as a seven-year-old. <laughs> there was a, a way to describe someone who's... Because the, the lyric was, some people think I'm nice, some people think I'm nasty, but if you ask me, I'm nice tea. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. See, now the two singles that were big uh, here, uh, for those of you who don't know, which is all of you, um, Rob did not grow up in New York. Yeah, I'm from Colorado. Yeah. I saw this on... BET, the jukebox. Like, oh, we called it the box here. Right. Yes. And I want to say MTV. I assume it was on MTV. Um, honestly, you know what? I, you know what? It might have been on MTV because this is around the the era of, um, like I said, she used to date Dr. Dre. She was on the Ruthless, uh, Ruthless Records, which was Easy E's label. Right. So who's they, also in the video? Yes, he is also in the video holding a child, and I'm pretty sure that's probably one of his ten kids. Like, <laughs> Like, legit, no, I'm serious, legit, this man had 10 different kids by a bunch of different ladies, so I'm pretty sure that's one of his children, <laughs> one of his many children. Um, so yeah, no, um, the two singles of hers that were big here 
were No More Lies and a ballad called Something in My Heart. Now, Something in My Heart, that video, she's basically, I'll, I'll probably post this video as well so that you guys can see it. She's wearing like this uh, full length, like kind of backless black sparkly gown with like a white feather boa and she's it's got it's kind of it looks like it's taking place in the 1920s and she's like a or a glamour shot studio in the mall oh my god <laughs> stop glamour shot studio oh that makes me feel so sad because it kind of feels like that there's some shots where you can't see the musicians playing behind her so it looks like she's playing in like a jazz nightclub right. and there's just some close-up uh, close-ups of her that just have the blue background so it totally could look like a glamour shots by deb thing in the mall oh how sad <laughs> uh, but yeah it's a very like torch songy um really highlights her voice like she doesn't speak in this video she is just singing no actually Belting. she is singing she's singing <laughs> she is singing like just singing the set like the singing for her life um so those were the big singles that were like kind of huge here and i just don't remember that other song yeah i've heard it and it's like it's familiar, but I don't know if it's familiar because it sounds like music of that time mm -hmm. or if I actually remember or it. Or if you actually remember it. Which, like, look, time and, like, memories kind of play tricks. Sure. So, like, it's kind of weird to, like, uh, to distinguish the two. Um, so, yeah, I think one of the questions I had asked myself in watching this video who the hell is this party for? Like, is this like a random ass party? Because I'm like, is this a birthday party? Is it for the cheating boyfriend? Or is it just like a house party? Like, I'm not really sure what the point of this party is. Like, all throughout the video, they're preparing for this party. And she's calling him and she's salty. And I'm just like, why don't you just not invite this asshole to the party? <laughs> you can just tell him not to, like, get the fuck out. <laughs> yeah, I guess... Um I, I wondered that too, like, what is this party about? Because it's, suddenly it's a party. But if you think about it, that's also very kind of evidence of the time. If you think of just a, fa a few years later, which I also want to talk about a lot of the juxtaposition of that, mm -hmm. is if you think about the video of Nothing But a G Thing. Yes, where there's a super random freaking party that just comes out of nowhere yeah. and people just invite themselves. <laughs> okay, okay, yeah, you're, you're hitting it right on the head there. <laughs> Random parties were a thing. <laughs> Especially if your mama wasn't home. <laughs> exactly. Till six in the morning. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so you're hitting it right on the head there. Okay. Um, one thing that's going to lead into the next discussion we're going to have. Sure. So at the end of the video, it seems that she finally like confronts him and is cussing him out. And you can't, you obviously can't hear them speaking to one another. The music is playing over. But they're at each, like, she's just in his face. Like, she looks mad. Like, right. she's getting her moment to just tell this guy what for. And then there's a moment where Dr. Dre grabs her arm. Oh, I saw that. <laughs> I noted that. And he just snaps her around. And I got really concerned. <laughs> <laughs> and that concern was well placed. Oh, it was very well placed. Because <laughs> I was just like, whoa, <laughs> damn. This guy's a real girl. You better leave him. You You're in danger, got, girl. You in danger. <laughs> that's exactly what I did. I sat up in bed. I was like, girl, you are in danger. You better go. You better go. So eventually by the end of the song, she packs up her stuff, gets in a Mercedes convertible. Like, do, 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 do. <laughs> oh, yes. We didn't even mention that part. The little, um, instead of like an actual like chorus, she does like this vocalization scat thing, which is absolutely Magical. <laughs> oh, I forgot. I forgot how much that part. That was like the best. <laughs> that was the best because my sister would hum it, and like we would do it at each other. Like we just like boop boop ba -doop, boop. But like we would do it at each other. And as a little kid, my sis, both my sisters are a lot older than I than I am. Um, I'm 31. Um, I won't say how old my eldest sister is because she'll probably listen to this and be like, why are you telling everybody about my life? Um, mm -hmm. She is a lot older than I am. Um, I was an oops, maybe. Okay. Um, but to be a little kid... You were a surprise. I was... Uh, I was <laughs> Let's not sugarcoat this shit. I was a straight up oops. It was like, oh, you're here. Okay. <laughs> I guess this, this is a thing. Um, but to be a little kid and like kind of like vibing with your older sister and acting like you've grown and like singing and like having a good time with them like 
it was just such a cool memory for me. So as soon as I heard that little chorus, ah, I was I was in heaven. I was mentally in heaven. Um, so yeah, so let's 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 touch upon the uh, that arm grabbing thing. So what I hadn't known about uh, Dr. Dre and Michelle's relationship, it was a very turbulent one. Um, Turbulent meaning that he beat her ass. Yeah, he broke her nose, he right? He broke her nose. Um, she had to get reconstructive surgery on her nose. And he also broke her ribs. And she had to get surgery on her ribs. So their relationship was a very abusive one. Um, which is something I had no idea about. Um, and then, when, like I said, when you see that sort of... Um, that sort of thing in the video, it's sort of like, oh... When you have that sort of knowledge, that new bit of information, it puts that all in perspective. Absolutely. Like, it's it's like, oh, oh, this was going on behind the scenes. This was something that was, he was not a stranger to doing this. He did that shit all the time. It was autobiographical. Yeah. I was just like, oh, is this a true life story? <laughs> and I'm pretty sure she wrote the song, too. Like, it was her and, like, maybe two other people wrote the song. Right. So this was like, oh, this is some, like, lifetime shit that's going down. You wonder how she got him to um, participate in the video. How? No, I'm, I'm wondering. Like, oh, I was, I was like, oh, I was like, are you, are you going to tell me some no, new no, shit no. I didn't know? Um, I, You know what? I don't know. Um, so, sidebar. So, when Straight Outta Compton... The movie came out. Right. Um, she is nowhere in this movie. And right. they were dating during the, the time that NWA was becoming a thing. Um, and how, when Ruthless Records was, was com- becoming a thing. And um, one magazine was like, hey, you know, do you, why are you not in the movie? Like, you, you should be in the movie because you were dating him at the time. And she was like, look, I was the girlfriend who just had to stay quiet and got beat up all the time. Like, I didn't have a place in the movie. So, like, this is a real, like, this is Ice Cube's telling of how all that stuff went down. And what I was going through didn't really factor into that. She's like, I'm not mad that I'm not in it. I totally get why I'm not in it because that is not a part of my, like, of his retelling of, that's not his a part of his history. Right. Um, but she's like, I just want to let y'all know that it did happen. And Dr. Dre has also acknowledged that he did, like, that the, the relationship was very abusive. And he, and he acknowledged, and it wasn't just her, right? There was the talk about D Barnes. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was, you know, J.J. Fad was also left out of the uh, the movie too, and right. they a lot of their success with Supersonic is what kind of let Ruthless Records take off, right? Exactly, exactly. So, the, like, I mean, I think as with any sort of um, like rags to riches story, there's always going to be big chunks that are left out for whatever reason. Um, so, I think those two, those two stories were like stories that I would love to see told on their own. <laughs> right? Yeah, I mean. Who knows? Maybe I mean a lot of a lot happened to Dr. Dre after NWA. Oh, oh yes. <laughs> um, so also including so we also we we can't talk about this period of music without talking about Suge Knight. Right. Um, he is a monster. <laughs> he's a very scary person. Um, he ran uh, ran. I say ran because he's in jail right now. Um, he ran Death Row Records. Um, and then he ran some people over. And then he ran some people over, hence why he's in prison. Um, and I think everyone kind of knows Death Row Records, Tupac, Snoop Dogg. Like, it's a very, very successful record label. So, You know that we had uh, a young millennial working with us who, when this whole thing went down, when he ran over the person mm-hmm. or the people. Was it two people? It was two people. Yeah. Uh, said, what's a Suge Knight? Oh my goodness, I remember this story. <laughs> I remember this That's how you know that you are, you just you are not of age to be talking with anyone about anything. Just get out of the conversation. If you have to ask what's a, what's what is a Suge Knight? Right. Not who, what is a Suge Knight? Just get out. <laughs> just get right. out of this conversation. <laughs> because if you live through like 94 to like 99, 2000, you know exactly who Suge Knight is and you know why you should be scared of him. <laughs> um, so yeah, he was a very ruthless character. And when he was starting uh, Death Row Records, um, he was basically like shaking people down to like give up their artists so they, he could sign them to Death Row. 
Um, so he basically shook down Easy E, who ran Death, um, who ran Ruthless Records. Right. Um, it was Easy E and Jerry Heller, which which is uh, his partner. And he was like, "Look, I want the DOC. I want Dr. Dre, and I want Michelle A." And he sent henchmen with like lead pipes and stuff, and was just like, "Hey, I want these three artists. You're gonna sign them over to me, or we're gonna fuck you up." Where does the uh, hanging of vanilla ice factor into all of this? Oh, this was around. This is <laughs> this is the shakedown period where he was harassing Vanilla Ice and dangled him over a balcony to get the rights to Ice Ice Baby. Right. This is all happening around that time. He was starting his reign of terror to acquire artists, <laughs> not just like getting people the normal way, just like shaking people down and trying to fuck them up. <laughs> Which is the Suge Knight way. So um, after uh, Dr. Dre and Michelle sort of, uh, they had a child together, a son, um, they parted ways. She ended up marrying Suge Knight. Um, Which is a strange, strange thing because it's like, okay, this person who is a crazy person and who is like threatening the lives of the people that you work for to make sure that you come over to his label. How do you end up becoming his wifey? <laughs> like, how does that happen? Yeah, I, you wonder, I and mean, I don't want to speculate because, you know, people do dumb stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Look, I mean, if, when you're... The heart wants what the heart wants. Yeah, when you're young, you just kind of do whatever. Like, I mean, I can see him being a very like, imposing character but i honestly wouldn't be surprised if he was a very charming person too like he did very well in school he was like on his uh football like on his like high school's football team and i think he actually got drafted for the la rams or something. right right so like he actually was a somewhat successful person but also a psychopath and many psychopaths and sociopaths can be very successful people while also endangering everyone around them and besides her voice, she's also a tiny human, too. Yeah, she's real short. She's really tiny. So, like, you kind of have this need to pre- kind of protect her. Like, as she was, like, I was watching one of these interviews, and as she's recounting all this crazy stuff, I'm just, like, you could see her strength over time. Like, okay, she's an older woman now. She's been through all these crazy things. Come out on the other side. But I can't really imagine how it must have been to be that young and... You have a bunch of money. Like this al- this album, I think, went gold. Um, it was very successful for her. Right. So you're young, you have a gold record, you're you have a you know, a modicum of fame, and you you, you you get yourself thrown into crazy situations if you're not a strong enough person. So I could see her kind of getting swept away by, you know, anything that he's promising her. Or like the fame that he's promising her or whatever. Which actually also fell through because her second album called Hung Jury, which was released on Death Row Records, failed terribly. It didn't even, like, I, th- I don't think it charted very well either. It was a lot of poor um, promotion. Yeah. I don't think she really toured for it either. The f- album took forever to come out. When did it come out? Um, Hung Jury came out. Do, 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 do. Uh, let me see if I have that here. That was 1998, and that first album came out in 89. Oh, that's that's a long time to that's wait. That's a really long time to not be putting out any music, especially when your first album did so well. And if you could, if you think about how much music changed during that period, mm-hmm. she missed all of gangster rap. Yeah, like gangster <laughs> rap was pretty much like. Not on its way out, but you have the whole like bad boy, yeah. really opulent stuff coming out. So that's the like fish eye videos. Exactly. All, all the fish eye videos <laughs> and all the shimmy shaking and the yeah, yeah, yeah. Like all of that crap. So all that crap was coming out. Well, not crap because I still really love that time. Oh. But um, yeah, all that was coming out. So she was kind of like on the tail end and it just, it just wasn't vibing with what right. was going out in the world right at that time so yeah that i don't think it um did it yeah it had pretty much no promotion and no hit singles yeah because well and hip-hop music at that point was like that but it was also no limit too i think oh no- yes yes that was like the burgeoning like no limit cash money crew yes right. so that southern rap was becoming like a thing 
um, on not like a the huge like a huge scale. I feel like that more burst through like on the early two thousands, like right. Master P and all that, like the hot boys. Oh no, that was nineteen ninety eight because I was sixteen and then I had a car and I remember listening to Gangsta's Need Love too. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you do because I'm sure as a little G yourself, I'm sure you needed love as well. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, so yeah, that, that was kind of sad. Like to you know you go up and you're had this meteoric rise than to just kind of every, have everything fall flat. Do we know much about her relationship with Suge? I mean, Suge was shaking people down, but... Um, as far as I could see from the, the interviews that I heard, he wasn't controlling physically. He was more controlling mentally. Okay. Like, he kind of kept her in the house. She wasn't really allowed to go anywhere. I think she said he basically kept her like a princess in the tower. Like... He took care of her, but also wouldn't let her do anything. Fine. Which is great. I mean, right. I, I, you're not getting beat, but you're getting beat mentally by the fact that you're a prisoner in your own home. Right, absolutely. So it's, you know, she went from like the physical abuse to the mental abuse. So basically she lost both ways. Um, she also had a, a daughter with Suge Knight. Um, a beautiful young thing. Um, I she get the green eyes? Uh, you know, I don't even remember what eye color, what her eye color was, but she's a beautiful, beautiful kid. Like, um, she, her mom is super proud of her. She's like, she's so smart. She's doing great in school. She's super mature. And that come from that sort of tumultuous household, like her father's in jail. I have no idea when Suge Knight is up for parole. I don't know if he is going to be up for <laughs> parole anytime soon. For the sake of the world, I hope he's not. Right. <laughs> he's a terrible person. He deserves to be away forever. Um... But to come up in that sort of tumultuous household and to still seem like you kind of have your shit together takes a very strong mom and a very like good foundation. So you know, I think I think she's gonna be okay. Um, but yeah, she's actually um, on a TV one show called uh, R and B Divas, um, and it's like a reality show. I saw that. I don't know anything about this show. Did you see clips of it? No, it's um, I was I just looked on YouTube just very briefly. So basically the premise of the show is uh it's almost like a real housewives but for like r&b like b-level r&b divas so the other people on the show so it's michelle shante moore <laughs> um claudette ortiz who is from the group city, city high. high and i'm so happy you knew who that was i'm so happy who had a they were one hit wonders with the song she, what would you do well, she also had, um, there was a song with Wyclef that later was turned into another, you are saying yeah. words that I don't know, <laughs> and okay. I'm not sure where your melody is going. Do you know the Shakira song, Hips Don't Lie? Yes. Okay. Wyclef and Claudette Ortiz made a song with the exact same beat. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. That I think was on a movie. Okay. Oh, crap. I think I remember reading it about the okay, like the movie is like on the tip of my brain. I think it's the Dirty Dancing sequel. Yes, yes, Havana Nights. Yes, oh my god. <laughs> Never okay. saw it, but I know that that's the song. Yes, from it. I remember coming across that in my readings. That was a thing. I, I made sure I, I, I thought about seeking it out, and then I quickly squashed <laughs> that thought. <laughs> I was like, I should, maybe, no, no, that's okay. Um, <laughs> So, uh, yeah, so it's, like, all these, like, B-level R&B ladies living their lives. And um, I'm actually kind of curious to, like, actually watch the show. I'm not a big reality show person, but I would be interested in seeing I can see myself this. hungover on a Saturday watching one to yeah. four episodes yeah. of this. One to, yeah, <laughs> like, a, like a almost, like, real-world sort of scenario where, like, you're not going to get all caught in, but you're at least, yeah, at least one to four episodes. I you're think that's, maybe passively watching it while napping. Yeah, like, you're kind of napping, you're fixing, fixing yourself some, like, eggs and some bacon, maybe having a cup of coffee. Right. Browsing online, and you're like, oh, this is still on? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Oh my God! Someone's fighting. Like, and that's the shocking. Time, yeah, <laughs> that's the time that you tune in. Um, but yeah, like I'm, I'm glad that um, she's still around. She's apparently still recording um, on like some level. Like she, had, I think she had like one or two singles 
a couple of years ago. I don't know like if they made much of a splash because I like I didn't hear anything about it. Yeah, them. me either. Um, but I'm glad she's still you know doing what she does best, which is sing her heart out. Can we talk about the fashion? Oh, from uh, please. well, here I have this, an idea about this, right? Yes. Okay, so. I didn't know who Dr. Dre was in 1989. Okay. I know who, and I knew that there was a group called NWA because my uncle listened to it, and I knew what the letter stood for. Okay. But I didn't know what the members, I didn't really know any mm-hmm. kind of thing like that. Remember, I was seven. Yes. Uh, but 1992, 93, number G thing comes yes. out, right? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And that was definitely a part of my experience. Oh, for sure. Okay. They so, played that on MTV literally every minute of the day pretty much pretty much it was a and it was, glorious time and it's a it was it's a great freaking song so i'm not surprised but if you look at like this video and the silk shirts and the way people are dressed they at that party so many silk shirts and then you fast forward just a very short amount of time even if you look at i think he was driving a corvette mm-hmm. uh convertible how much different it is in the nothing but none but a G thing video mm-hmm. of they're wearing the Ben Davis and Dickies right. and Lowriders mm-hmm. and it's like are you fronting a little bit? Because <laughs> <laughs> a few years ago you were wearing silk shirts and driving a Corvette, like it's you know it's all about keeping it real. <laughs> It's like it's. Did they decide to keep it real in ninety when Nama Jing Thang came out? Then you know what it was. I think it was, and this is just a theory. Like the, the silk, the early silk shirts. You're trying to floss. You're trying. Right. You're poor. Sure. You're obviously super duper poor, but you're trying to look large. But fast forward, you actually are large. <laughs> And you have to make sure that the hood doesn't forget where you came from. <laughs> oh, I like this. So it's just like, okay, look, we have money now, but we don't have to show that we have money. We want to keep it real. We want to let you guys know that we're still from the street. We're still hard. We're not, we're not wearing these, these pantsy-ass silk short shirts. We're keeping it real. We're from the street. No call can I hear. <laughs> right? <laughs> no call can I hear. Maybe a cross colors or two. Maybe. Well, it is also L.A., right? Yes. Do you feel, as someone who grew up in New York, mm-hmm. what were your thoughts on Los Angeles music culture that you saw? Oh, man. I mean, honestly, the only things I knew about California, I, like I, this Hollywood was a thing and like Compton was a right. thing. Those are the t- only two like connections I had with Hollywood. Was it like watching Boys in the Hood? Yeah, it was like either like Menace of Society, Boys in the Hood, like Point that. Justice. Yeah, like that. That that was what I thought California was as right. a child. I was like, oh, that's what it is. And then like, um, the random like game show where it's like, oh, it was filmed in Buena Vista, California. I was like, oh, so that's where game shows happen. Like that was it. Like it's sunshine, all white people in game game shows. Compton. That <laughs> was like the only like, and I'm not even sure if like like Latinos factored in there for me yet because sure. I only had like an image of New York Latinos. Right. Like I didn't know like Stand and Deliver. Like I didn't know those movies. So like that wasn't even like a factor for me yet in my recognition. Like those were like the two like main things I had in my mind. And the only music was all male centered. It was all NWA. It was all Dr. Dre. It was all Snoop. Like that's all it was. And, the, and and Tupac later on. And here we know that Michelle A was from LA. Yeah. We didn't know that then. Yeah, I had no I didn't know idea. JJ Fad was from LA. Yeah. Well, they were from north of LA. Well, I think in the uh, the interview that I watched with her, the interviewer was like, "Oh, so like you're like you were from Compton?" And she was like, "Actually, I wasn't." Like he's like, "Well, you were whole with NWA and Ruthless." She's like, "No." I'm from South Central. <laughs> I'm from a different hood. <laughs> I'm from the hood, just from like a different one. Like Compton, South Central, not the same. <laughs> if I remember right, they're pretty close. They're close. Right. So speaking of, you were talking about the Latinos part, but like the way they dress too is a lot like Cholos, right? Yes, like yes. That, the, like the, 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 the Vato look. <laughs> exactly. With like the button up, uh, the like the one button flannel, right, right, and the wife beaters and the high socks. And my cousins used to wear those Ben Davis shirts too. Really? Oh yeah. Oh gosh. Well, so we went to Los Angeles. We drove to Los Angeles in 1993. So kind of a summer after a lot of. Well, I kind of had seen Boys in the Hood and I'd seen those movies, mm-hmm. and 
I realized like my uncle, my great uncle's neighborhood was all Mexican, Mexican American, and what I call Mexican Mexicans, <laughs> <laughs> the real Mexicans, <laughs> the real Mexicans, and I was like, oh damn. This looks like Boys in the Hood, but with Mexicans. <laughs> it was the same sorts of houses, the same sorts of gates. Mm-hmm. Like, these sorts of houses that... Like, the cars, like, in the driveway, like, parked diagonally, and, like, all the cars were kind of, like, around them. Yeah, sort of that, like that, but more than anything, the, like, hardcore metal gate front door. Mm-hmm. Like, the, the, the security door. Right. Right? Um... And so I, I don't know exactly where I'm going with this, but I, it was suddenly, oh, that's what Los Angeles looks like. It's really like that, but this is the Mexican part of yeah, it. And, and as a New Yorker who didn't really start like traveling or anything until after college, like I, after I think five, which was the last time I was outside of the United States, I was visiting family in Jamaica where my parents are from. Um, I didn't even, I didn't even get a passport until maybe three to four years ago because we never went anywhere exciting like we didn't have money to like go anywhere so i didn't need a passport for anything um and i also just we just didn't travel i my my mom liked to remind me that after i was born they stopped doing vacations (laughs) because i used to go to miami a lot and she was like oh yeah after you after you came around yeah we didn't do any of that anymore i'm like dang (laughs) i just ruined the game for everyone huh (laughs) Well, L.A. was a very tangible place for me, but New York, I didn't come to New York until I was a week before my 21st birthday. Oh, wow. And so my version of New York, especially especially during this time, mm-hmm. was in music videos. Specific, like the one that always comes to mind mm-hmm. is LL Cool J, Around the Way Girl. Oh, my God. So, small fun fact about me and my mom. You're in the video. I No. <laughs> that would have been really bizarre. No, my parents used to own a grocery store. Um, near the neighborhood where I grew up. And he is from Hollis. Right. I am from the neighborhood right next door. Um, I'm originally from Queens Village. And he used to come to my parents' store every once in a while. And my mom was always just like, oh, that big-headed one. Who <laughs> <laughs> licks his lips. He's like, he's got a big head. Like, I don't think she said anything about him licking his lips, even though I like to imagine that he would come in in a bag of cheese doodles and a soda and just like, greatest of all time. Mm, I'm licking my lips. Greatest of all time. Blah, blah, blah. Let me get them cheese doodles and a, and a Coke. Greatest of all time. And then leaving. <laughs> Lisa, Pamela, Angela, Renee. <laughs> I like the girls from around the way. Now, where my cheese doodles? Like, I just, I like to think that's what happened. I think it was just more of he came in, got some chips. It was very nice to my mom and left. <laughs> but uh, I, I always like to think of that of that image of him. Um, so yeah, do we have anything else? Oh wait, about uh, you said about the silk shirts. Yeah. Now, also someone is wearing again wearing a mustard colored shirt. I I noticed that <laughs> the dudes in a lot of these videos of this time period, a lot of them like mustard colored clothing. I don't. What is up with that? <laughs> As a man, can you like clue me into what like? Like, shades that dudes like? Well, like, okay, so, first of all, I am olive tone-ish, and so yellow looks like shit on me no matter what, <laughs> so I have no kind of insight there. Okay. <laughs> I'm just like, I mean, what was the, like, I guess they're like, oh, I'm like a brown-skinned dude, and I look great in mustardy, yellow things. It could be things. that. It could be that. I don't know, just some of these tones were just... It was a very bright time. It was a... It, they loved them some colors in that time period. Well, listen, for there's this photo of me. I have on acid wash oh, Lord. dyed purple. Oh Lord. Short overalls. Wait. So you didn't bring this picture with you? <laughs> Wait. <laughs> Professionally done. Like what? my like it was a photo of me and my dad. We went to Olin Mills and had it taken. And this is what I chose to wear. Wait, that uh, day. also, what is Olin Mills? Olin Mills is uh, I guess they're not out this way. Maybe it's maybe it could all even be a Colorado thing. It's a photo a photo studio. Okay, portrait okay. studio. Okay, so it's like a like a, is it an independent one or was it like a part of like a Sears or anything? This one was independent. I don't know if they okay. were part of Sears. Okay. But um, and then the oh wait, there's more though. Oh dear. The t the shirt was. Probably rayon, and it was like a paisley print, but with like purple and yellow and turquoise. 
I'm tie-dye. S- I'm so horrified, but I'm so intrigued. <laughs> I really want to see this picture. It's a oh magical time. Oh, my God. Oh, purple tie-dye paint. Like, just my brain is getting cross-eyed thinking about it. Well, and so, and my mom. And yes, I said brain getting cross-eyed. It <laughs> makes no sense, but it makes sense to me. <laughs> so, my mom grew up super poor. So, with me, she was always like, department store, department store. And when I told her I wanted these, which were super popular, mm. she couldn't find them at the department store. Oh, dear. We had to go to an indoor flea market. Oh, no. Oh, indoor flea markets? <laughs> and she was so mad. Oh, my God. Oh, man. So there is a, um, a flea market. I don't actually know if it's still in operation, but it used to be near uh, the racetrack over at Aqueduct. And I remember going there with my mom and my sister, and I just remember walking past like a like a pyramid of like loose sneakers and they were like they look like nikes and i was like oh man you get these nikes for like 20 dollars. that's so cool but when you get closer to them they said like mikey <laughs> or like mckay with like an accent over it and i was just like this is not <laughs> this is not what i thought it was and that was just like the tone of the market all this like name brand shit that was when you got close to it, not name brand at all. <laughs> Just like the most tawdry ghetto appropriations of popular of popular crap. <laughs> That's amazing. So we were talking offline before we started about kind of the motivation of this. Yes. And you were saying that it's because there were artists that you knew that you thought everyone knew. Yes. Um, the basically around this time of like mid to late 80s to late 90s was this like amazing like media culture thing going on in like the african-american community we would get issues of like jet magazine and ebony like there was a lot of black tv shows on on tv there was sure. amen there's living single there was martin like rock there was rock south central like there was so- frank's place which was probably like around the time it came out, like one of the most acclaimed shows on TV, even though it was only around, I think for one season. Um, And these were just things that I grew up with that I kind of thought everyone knew, like the music, like Ready for the World, like all of like Michelle A, Zapp and Roger, like these are all things I grew up with and I thought these were just mainstream things that everyone knew. Right. And as I got older, I realized, oh, these, no one knows what the hell I'm talking about. And no one being white people. White people. Because most mainstream culture is a lot, it's based a lot around white people. Right. And the things that kind of like slip through those cracks and become a part of mainstream culture, it's few and far between. Sure. But there's so many things that like, like Latinos know and like Latinos and Hispanics, um, Blacks, Caribbean Black people, like Asian, like there's so many things across the board that are so ingrained to that particular culture that just, like white people don't really necessarily have to know about these things. Right. Like this is not, it's something that doesn't have to be on the radar. We need to know about their stuff. Yeah, like Friends, <laughs> everyone knows about. <laughs> Seinfeld, everyone knows about. Like Rock, not a lot of people do. <laughs> Plenty of people will make the comparison to Sex and the City and the Golden Girls, but not everyone will make this comparison to Sex and the City and Living Single. Right. Um, as a note, uh, I was listening to uh, Queen Latifah on a podcast that I love called Another Round. Um, and she was like, well, when Living Single came out, it was one of the top rated shows on Fox. Like it was like it was amazing for them. Um, the guy who was over in charge, I want to say Les Moonves, but I think that's CBS. Um, and it wasn't Brendan Tartikoff. It was some executive over at NBC. Who, Brendan Tartikoff was at NBC, right? Yes, but I don't think this is the person I'm, I'm thinking about. Um, someone asked him, what show do you, like, do you wish you had on your roster at NBC, like primetime right now? And he said, Living Single. Really? He's like, that's the show I wish I had. And not too long after, Friends came out. Ooh, interesting. So it's set in New York. You've got a group of friends. Like one is the sort of like poor one. One is like the really sassy one. Like they're all like really individual characters. They're across the hall from each other. They're across the hall from one another. These are, and 
on Living Single, it was about these women, but there were dudes like th- that they dated, interacted with, who lived like right next door to them. Yeah. They interacted with all the time. Right. It was just like it was mainly spotlighting the women. Friends as a mixed, like a guy girl cast. They live across the hall from one another. They're all like making their way in New York City. I mean, she basically said, I'm not saying <laughs> it's a ripoff or anything, but it was tailored in a way to appeal to mainstream America. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, that makes perfect sense. And I know for, for me, you know, as a, um, as a Mexican-American who doesn't speak Spanish, mm-hmm. I think we gravitated toward the things that were showing up in black culture because we didn't have anything else, right? Like, right. I could have listened to Selena, but I know she was sing- singing. I really, and I, 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 uh, I'm ashamed to admit this, I didn't know who she was till she died. I, I mean, I didn't know who she was until yeah, she died I'm, either. I'm a Mexican-American <laughs> You're kid. a Mexican-American. Like, this is something you should know. We should. I should you have should known. Know. And when I, again, I, when I heard her music, I was like, oh, I think I know that song. But I didn't, like, know it, know it. And mm-hmm. so this sort of music, Michelle and those songs from the 80s and 90s, Zapp and Roger or whoever it was, those are songs that were definitely part of my experience, right? right. These are songs that I listened to on my own. These are songs I listened to with my older cousins, you know, when they would babysit me and we'd be in their car. And I mean, we had a couple of Latinos. I mean, we had Lisa Lisa. You had Lisa Lisa. <laughs> um, I thought y'all had El DeBarge, but El DeBarge, his, the DeBarge family is not Hispanic or Latino. We claim them though. Y'all claim them. <laughs> and I, for the longest time, thought they were Spanish or like some sort of Latino, Hispanic, whatever. And as um, I was looking through some of their history, I was like, oh, they're, they're not, Hispanic at all. <laughs> I was the, that blew my fucking mind. We also we have one guy from that era who it's really strange, right? He came up with this. It's almost like a contemporary to No More Lies. It's called Mentirosa, which okay. means lying girl. Okay. <laughs> and he's a Cuban guy, and it's uh, but he grew up in L.A. And he's it's a very it's very similar to No More Lies, okay. but it's told from from the, the guy's perspective. Yeah. All right, all right. Mellow Man Ace is his name. Oh my God, I totally know who that is. <laughs> I totally know who that is. Oh my God, yes. Like, yeah, I, I think I actually do know that song. I've yeah. definitely heard that song before. Right. Oh man. All sorts of revelations tonight, man. <laughs> I love it, I love it, I love it. All right, I think, I think we've kind of covered it all. I think we're good. You think we're good? I think we're good. Awesome. Thank you so much for talking about this song with me. Thank you for having me. Yeah. I enjoyed it. Um, you like, I think you were the the perfect one for this song. <laughs> you came in knowing what you wanted. You held it down. You threw it down, and you did a great job. So thank you. <laughs> Good luck with the rest of your podcast. Thank you, thank you. Uh, so you guys can find me uh, at Eating This Bitch on Twitter and on Instagram. That's E A T I N I S T Bitch. That's all one word. Um, where can people find you if you want people to find you? What is my Instagram? We could do that. I believe it is Robar82. R O B B A R 82. Yes, yes, that is it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, uh, have a great night, everyone, and see you for the next episode of Black Famous. Bye. Do, 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 do. <laughs>